Hola, Katie. Uh, bonjour, Ben. Bonjour. I do not speak French. Today, can we talk about translations? Oui, oui. <laughs> what does that mean? It means yes. Oh, okay. It means something else in English. Or, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, so I am going to Costa Rica soon, at least as of the recording of this episode. As of the release of this episode, I might actually be in Costa Rica, which is really exciting. Fancy. And yeah, so I'm, I'm learning Spanish. And one thing that I've been doing a lot is uh, basically searching, like asking a machine, Google Translate, to translate phrases and words for me. Because I don't know, I mean, it's a, it's a good tool to have in your toolkit when you're trying to learn a language. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I've been trying to learn French. Uh, somewhat too, or to learn more French. And yeah, Google Translate is one of those go-to things that I found really handy. And I don't know how long you've been using Google Translate, but if you've been using it a for more time. than... I'm sorry? Oh, a long time. Oh, okay, good. Well, you might have noticed that recently, say in the past couple months or so, the uh, the quality of the translations, at least to my eye, has gotten markedly better. Have the you problem- noticed this? No, I actually have not because I'm pretty awful at all languages. So um, I'm probably not the best person to assess the quality of the translations I get back. I just kind of take them as, as, as assuming that they're good. Okay. Well, this is something that I had noticed in French where sometimes I would put in the French words and it would give me this garbled English that you had to kind of figure out what on earth it was maybe talking about. It seems to have gotten much smoother, much more natural lately. And that is not an accident. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, Google recently has switched out the back end of their machine translation system from a phrase-based translation system to uh, a a neural net. And so I thought this was worth talking about a little bit. What is phrase-based? What is uh, the neural net doing? And what does it look like when they're actually deciding to make this swap over? What do they have to do to get ready for this switch? So if I were to implement this as a computer programmer, I guess my kind of naive approach would be, all right, look for commas, look for periods, split all of these little phrases up, and then see if there are any direct translations. Of course, if you can't find any direct translations for phrases or any kind of similar translations for phrases, then you could just translate the words more directly. Oh, yeah. So this is, this is a really mm-hmm. interesting point is, do you want to translate words Do you want to translate phrases? Um, You can even imagine that you only want to translate parts of words. For example, if you have a prefix, that's going to change the meaning of a word. Mm. If you have a suffix, it's going to change the part of speech of the word. Then you have the word stem that sits in the middle. And so maybe you want to have some flexibility with respect to the way that you can even break up the words um, themselves and translate pieces of of the words. Um, And so a phrase-based translation system is going to, as much as possible, try to translate groups of words together. Mm-hmm. And so usually this will be something like bigrams, three grams, four grams, five grams. Uh, and what those are are pairs of two words or uh, sets of three words, four words, five words. Um, these numbers of words that appear together in a row. So not necessarily just split up by punctuation. That's right. They're looking They're looking to translate an entire phrase and not just a word. And if there's a phrase that they've never seen before, then you know, you have to do some adjustment and maybe only translate the word or only translate two words if you've never seen these five words together, um, you know, break it into two and three or something. Um, but this was what the phrase-based translation system was doing before. 
we we talked a little bit about machine translation in an episode. This was a long time ago, actually. This was also a Google paper, as I recall, and they were trying to translate between Yiddish and English. That's right. And they were having trouble because Yiddish is, is largely a spoken language. And so you don't have a lot of Yiddish text that you can use as your corpus for training an algorithm. Yeah, they had a lot of other problems, um, too. Yeah, that was one of the important ones is you don't have a good training corpus. Uh, another one is that Yiddish is kind of this admixture of uh, Hebrew and German, and then there's a little bit of Slavic languages that get mixed in there. And so knowing exactly, for example, if you look at some text, knowing whether it's Yiddish versus Hebrew can actually be really challenging. Another thing that was tough is that because Yiddish was very often spoken in Eastern Europe and English is not very often spoken in Eastern Europe, there's not a lot of um, bodies of, of written works where you have Yiddish and English, you know, mm-hmm. both uh, both saying the same thing. So what they had to do in that case was they had to look into using what's called bridging languages. Uh, so this would be something like German, probably German would be the best one in this case, or maybe Hebrew, where you see something that's common to German and Yiddish, and then something else might be common between German and English. And so you can sort of use German as a so-called bridging language from that's English right. to Yiddish. Yeah. So the phrase-based translation system Um, was sort of the state of the art since the beginning of machine translation. I think there are papers going back to the 80s, maybe even earlier, talking about machine translation systems. But now the neural net is uh, recurrent neural nets, uh, long short-term memory type things we talked about a couple weeks ago. This is the new state of the art for things involving language. Mm -hmm. And so now we are moving on to the neural nets. Oh, so did Google, was that the the switch that they recently made is from phrase-based to uh, recurrent neural nets? Yes. Got it. And I just realized that I didn't actually answer your question from a few minutes ago, which is, is the neural net now translating? So before we had phrase-based stuff, so we've explained what phrase-based is and why you might want to use that. The neural net, actually, the sort of foundational piece of the, the Google neural net is what they call word pieces. And so one of the things that they had to figure out here was how to actually split words themselves sometimes into a few characters at a time and use those characters to try to infer the meaning of the word. The idea being that if you try to translate a string just one character at a time, you have sort of infinite flexibility, but you don't learn quite as quickly like you're sort of taking the step size is too small, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, Translating a whole word at once might give you some disadvantages with respect to, say, words that you're just seeing for the first time. If there's something like you've seen a particular word, but not the same word with a prefix appended to it. So let's say you've seen the word necessary, but you've never seen the word unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Having a word-based model might run into trouble when you see unnecessary. And so the fact that you can split up unnecessary into un- and necessary, and maybe even necessary itself has has a few sort of sub pieces to it. Uh, that gives you a little bit more um, flexibility without compromising too much on on the power of the model. So, one of the things that they had to do was figure out how to break the words into these word pieces. So, okay, once you break the words into the word pieces, then you're often running with training the neural net. So the particular neural net that they used here was uh, an LSTM, 
And then one of the things about this LSTM, so an LSTM is a type of recurrent neural network. The one thing that I thought was interesting about this LSTM that I wasn't quite able to understand was they also introduced this idea of an attention connection. Attention connection. The idea of the neural network is that you have an enc- a set of encoding layers. So those are the things that actually, those are the layers of the neural network that take in the raw text and break it into pieces and recombine those pieces. And then there's a decoding network that then takes those broken apart pieces and reassembles them into the target language. Uh-huh, and so I there's see. sort of, yeah, there's the part that breaks it apart and there's the part that puts it back together. So the attention mechanism then is a shortcut that they introduced in the neural net architecture. It's not a shortcut, but it sort of, it feels like a shortcut. Uh, and it's a connection from the bottom layer of the decoder to the top layer of the encoder. And for some reason, this makes the neural net faster to train. It makes it more robust for rare words, and it makes it so the neural net can more effectively zoom in on the parts of a sentence that sort of are the most tricky to translate or where there's maybe the most flexibility or the most nuance or something like that, and heuristically pay more attention to those parts of the uh, to those parts of the sentence as opposed to the parts that are kind of a little bit more boilerplate. That makes some sense. I mean, there's obviously a lot of implementation details that we're glossing over uh, that you probably would want to read the paper more directly if you want to really get in the nitty gritty. But the concept of wanting to find a way to zoom into the more important parts of the sentence makes a lot of sense because, you know, if you take uh, a sentence and you put not into it, obviously the word not completely changes the meaning of the sentence. Whereas there are whole phrases which altogether, you know, maybe constitute a single idea, like, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's a good example. And I'll admit that actually this attention mechanism was one of the pieces of the paper that I sort of tried to understand, but didn't quite get there. So I think it's important. And they tell me it's important for the reasons that I just uh, sort of spit back to you there. But exactly why this attention mechanism achieves this end, I wouldn't be able to explain. However, onward and upward. In the second part of, of this podcast, we say like, okay, so why are you going to do this? Why? So we have two options on the table, the phrase-based machine translation system. We have the neural net translation system. What makes you choose one versus the other? Or what would be, what would be the things that we have to show for the, for the neural net um, in order to justify all the work that it would take to rip out the phrase-based translation system and replace it? Right. In software, a lot of times, or in, in system design, what you want is some some way of evaluating the quality, in this case, of the translations, for example, or whatever the output of your system is. And if you can find some automated way of measuring your quality of your translation, then you can run both of these things at the same time. You could even A-B a- test them with individual users, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to do. And then by comparing these things and measuring your metric at the end, you can determine which one gives you a higher quality. So for example, you could say uh, time spent might be uh, a metric that you use and you split half of your users into one of the systems and half your users into the other one. Time spent is probably not the best metric for machine translation. I'm not exactly sure what the best would be. Um, But if you can get a metric that you can use as a proxy for success or failure, then you can test out these two methods side by side. And then once you see your uh, new method getting better results than your old method, then you can say, okay, we'll throw away the old method and just go with the new method. And just to add one more thing, uh, additionally, 
once you go to 100% on your new method, a lot of uh, a lot of times you will keep in a backtest or something like that, where you actually don't go to 100%, you go to 98%. And then 2% of your users or 2% of the user sessions still use the bad translations, right? And that's just kind of a way of double checking, like, are we really doing the right thing here? You know, because you don't want to throw away your old method thinking that your new method is better. And then later on, you find out that actually, you know, you went to 100% on your new method and you didn't detect that there was a, a serious problem with it or something. Sure. And in fairness, we don't actually, I can't prove that they're 100% on the new one. But uh, if what you're looking at is some kind of quality metric for translations, uh, that is actually something that exists. There's a quantitative metric called a blue score that's devised exactly for comparing different machine translation systems to each other and to human translations. And to make a really long story short, uh, the way to read blue score is it's if you want to read this paper, you have to know what a blue score is. Uh, I did not know what a blue score was when I started this paper, and I, I went off on a pretty long digression learning what it was. Is it blue like B-L-U-E? It is not. B-L-E-U. Oh, that like the cheese. for bilingual evaluation understudy, although you did not ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, so long story short, uh, the way to read blue scores is that higher is better. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what you need to know. And so they're comparing... A bunch of different ways that you can build the the neural net. They're comparing word pieces to phrases to characters to words. You know all the you know with and without the attention mechanism. Maybe they're trying some different loss functions. All these different choices. Um, but the table that I thought was the most interesting is they're actually showing the blue scores of the phrase-based machine translation system and the Google uh, neural translation machine translation system. Oh, and also a human. So. A human translation is usually held up like a like a fluent, articulate human translation is usually held up as the gold standard of sorts. And so the closer your translation gets to a human, then we say the better it's doing. In all of the uh, all of the six pairs of languages they looked at, so they have English going to Spanish, French, and Chinese, and then back again. That makes for six different combinations. They see improvements uh, in the blue score. If you take the difference between the phrase-based translation system and the human, and then we say of that gap, how much of it is filled by the neural net? So how much better does the neural net do than the phrase-based translation system um, so in, kind of in like recovering that gap? On the road to human translation, how far along that road have we gotten in, in upgrading the system? Yeah, yeah. Then they call this the relative improvement. And then the relative improvement varies depending on exactly what the source language is and what the destination language is. But it varies anywhere from 58%, I think is the lowest one, from English to Chinese. Oh my gosh. To 87% English to Spanish. So, so this is like serious, serious improvement. Yes, yes. And, you know, this, this is probably after they've done all the tuning. Um, and these also, as yeah. it happens are language, language pairs where there's a lot of common data for them to learn on, like English to Spanish. There's a lot of stuff that exists in both English and Spanish. So looking at something like Swahili to Japanese or something, you could still ask a lot of legitimate questions about whether this is really like truly universal mm -hmm. gains. But yeah, really, really impressive improvements. And I think to answer our original question of like, 
what's the kind of gains that you need to show in order to put all the engineering work into replacing your translation system. Well, it looks like these are the, the kinds of numbers that would motivate someone or a company like Google to do that. So I imagine there's a, a additional piece of this, which is like, even if you created a neural net translation system and it outperformed the phrase based by like 5% or 10% by not very much, it's still worth considering putting a lot of engineering resources into it because uh, at least my intuition is we've been using this phrase-based method for the last uh, couple of decades, right? Studying it. A lot of smart people have been thinking about it. Whereas using neural nets is relatively new for machine translation. So it seems like there's a lot more potential also for growth with, uh, with using neural nets for machine translation. So it seems like in general, even if you didn't see a significant improvement, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing you'd want to give up on because there's a lot of potential room for growth and, and you know, things that we might not know we don't know yet. I think that's an excellent point. So excellent that we'll probably dive into that a little bit more in a future episode because once they built this translation system, you know, on the one hand, it gets handed off to the software engineers to put it into production. On the other hand, it gets handed off also to the researchers who then are studying, you know, what its capabilities are. So yeah, stay tuned for more on that. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.